22nd episode of Rank and Review. This episode, my returning guest, Chris Thomas from Perth, Australia, and I are going to talk about Plague and Apocalypse. Six films that deal with the end of the world. So that should be cheery and that should be fun, and as usual, you should go into that knowing that there's going to be spoilers and there's going to be coarse language. Because that's just how we do business here. If you have feedback to give, I would welcome it. You can send your thoughts to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please check out the website at rankinreview.ca. And please tell a friend about Rankin Review. Welcome to 122. It's been a while since we've had you on the show, but I'm thrilled to have you back. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Larry. <laughs> I'm happy to uh, have a chat about movies. I've been trying to for the last few days to find a good time for us to record, but you've been working, and it's really blown my my image of Australia as sort of being a bunch of beach bums. <laughs> oh no, it's spend... particularly it's it's the middle of winter. We've been uh, overcast <laughs> and raining for the past four or five days, which is actually very unusual even for winter in in Perth. It's usually pretty sunny. <laughs> So uh, you've been like suffering at what, like 20, 25 degrees? <laughs> you got a it's, sweater on and shit? It's, it's, like, it's like 18 degrees and I'm cold. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I had a friend who moved to Saskatchewan from uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Yep. And we were having a fire in our backyard like in September. It's starting to get dark and there's just a little bit of chill in the breeze. And she had her jacket on and then asked for a blanket on her because she felt cold. <laughs> and I had to well, let her know, like, this, my friend, is not cold. <laughs> You'll know cold well, you when see, it happens. You'll see behind me, Larry, I've got my emergency blanket for when the sun goes down. Right. What's so the... I can I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, whilst I'm hiding under my blankets in the cold, cold winter, one of the few things that will keep me up at night, well, one of the many things that will keep me up at night, is actually sort of thematically what we're talking about here. Uh, there's nothing we could do about a giant asteroid at this point <laughs> that smashes into the planet. <laughs> like, there's nothing we could do about that. And we know it's happened before. We look at the moon, look how beat up the moon is, <laughs> right? Uh, yep. You know, shit flies into us from outer space and it happens. Um, maybe not what we would refer to as often, maybe only every few million years, but by, you know... <laughs> It happens. <laughs> it happens. 
And uh, I think that it's really interesting because it, I think, could be a premise for a very terrifying and interesting movie. And yet, almost always, when the premise shows up, it's this popcorn event thing. <laughs> that is uh, true, yeah. The apocalypse is generally pretty lighthearted in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, and in our list today, mostly, <laughs> with one pretty notable exception, I think. Yeah. If I would argue... Well, two out of the six are at least attempting... Well, let's say three out of yeah. the six are attempting to take it seriously. How successful they are, uh, we can we can discuss with these one. Not that these are all comet movies. It's The theme is plague and apocalypse. So all of these movies are going to deal with a potential world-ending threat. Um, you chose this list out of uh, many. What, what appeals to you about it? Um, I, <laughs> this is sort of... Uh... My, my father's favorite film is Armageddon. And really? Number one. <laughs> I have watched this movie many, many times. <laughs> and my dad always, whenever he was like testing his surround sound setup, he'd put it on, you know, the asteroid scene where they're flying onto the asteroid through all the rocks cracking around you. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it'd be nice to like talk about this movie intellectually rather than going, oh, explosions. Awesome. <laughs> Just, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, and that's that's where Michael Bay exists. I think, like, yes. love or hate Michael Bay, he just wants to make movies that blow shit up and look awesome. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's his MO, yeah. How deep they are is, I think, a matter of... Well, actually, not even really a matter of debate. They're not deep <laughs> no, at all. There's no, no discussion there. <laughs> <laughs> but is that something that causes you paranoia? Like, do you um, would, would you want to be around to see the end of the world? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. We all got to go sometime. And if we all go out together, at least I won't feel jealous that other people get to continue living. Yeah, we're not going to miss out <laughs> on anything, right? There's no that's Star right. Wars oh, movies that are, are going to come out that we don't get to see just because we're dead. <laughs> that's exactly right. I won't get to watch Star Wars episode 47. <laughs> but I think that psychologically it would be interesting and horrifying. I think the world would turn into the purge pretty quickly. Like... If someone put a, yeah. a ticking clock on the planet that nobody could do anything about, I do think that shit would go sideways well before the the asteroid hit or whatever oh, it was. Oh, for sure. Definitely something that is glossed over in these films is the impact of the of what would happen, like yeah, people turning on each other uh, with, with nothing else left to live for. Anyway. Well, it's interesting because we all... I, said on the podcast before I think spend our lives in denial of this whole death thing like, like as honest as we try, pretend to be in conversations I like to think most people secretly think that oh, we're gonna live forever <laughs> right so at some point yeah. my consciousness will maybe be uploaded into a robot or something but like I don't think we really can get our head around the no, idea of too... not existing it's too big an idea right it is it's too inc incomprehensible and and yeah I, I admit I've I felt that, you know, as I get older, I'm starting to slowly realize that, oh, actually, the, the end will come at some point, yeah, but I still don't really believe it. There's several uh, billion people on the planet, and maybe preserving Rankin Review's podcast host for perpetuity <laughs> is, is not the best use of, of humanity. <laughs> Hopefully the aliens come and download your brain. They, they decide this is, this is the one person they need. <laughs> Well, again, if there is an afterlife, it's one of those things that uh, I would be happy to be wrong about. <laughs> but, you know, if, you know, the, the asteroid hits and all of a sudden I wake up somewhere else and I'm still me, 
I mean, uh, <laughs> that in a, that would be a different kind of terrifying. <laughs> anyway, this I'd be is pretty pleased. It's getting pretty <laughs> philosophical here. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say about the movies or about the theme before we start talking about this shiat? No, let's crack on. All right. Um, there are six films that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Comet double feature from the late 90s. There's the Armageddon and Deep Impact. We're going to look at, and uh, I guess by including it on the list, there's a spoiler here, <laughs> Terminator 3, <laughs> Rise of the Machines. We're going to look at The Day After Tomorrow, uh, a more recent bizarre pick called Snowpiercer, and then we're going to finish things off with an Australian picture called These Final Hours. Uh, I, I feel like it's a spiritual sibling to a Canadian apocalyptic movie called Last Night. Uh, I think that the two could be like a double feature or kind of dovetail and complement each other, but that's all a discussion for another time. Check out Last Night if you haven't seen it. Just saying. Anything anything else you want to say? We want to do this? Let's do it. Let's go. How big were those? Those were nothing. The size of basketballs and Volkswagens. This new one you're tracking, how big? It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. It's what we call a global killer, the end of mankind. Half the world will be incinerated by the heat blast, and the rest will freeze to death in nuclear winter. Basically the worst parts of the Bible. Hitting a rock from the outside won't do the job. So we nuke this thing from the inside? How? We drill. We bring in the world's best deep core driller. The United States government has just asked us to save the world. We're talking about space, right? Outer space? This is like deep blue hero stuff. I'm there. I'm with you. Beat me up, Scotty. I want all of you listening to know that everything that can be done to wage this terrible battle is being called into service. May we all see these events through with the courage worthy of this challenge. All right, flight directors, I want the go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go flight. GMC. Go flight. Hey, Harry. You know, we're sitting on four million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has 200,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? We're going. Okay, gentlemen. You're warriors up there. You're already heroes. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. The dreams of an entire planet are focused on the 14 brave souls traveling into the heavens. Okay, so as I mentioned in the introduction, there were two Comet movies racing to the box office the year that Armageddon came out. I believe Deep Impact actually got there first, but arguably Armageddon made a little bit more noise than Deep Impact did in the end. Uh, It being a, a Michael Bay joint, it is big and stupid and expensive and kind of pretty to look at. I hadn't seen it since I'd saw it in the theaters. I picked up a copy of it on DVD. It's very available. I got it for like $2. (laughs) (laughs) And I I revisited it, remembering that I didn't like it. And the interesting thing that happened upon revisiting it is that I really hated it, and yet I had a fucking blast watching it. So uh, I don't like. It's not a thumbs up review for me. I still remain at arm's length from Michael Bay. I still think his finest film is The Rock, and that movie is fucking stupid. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, this weird slice of Americana from the late 90s has already started to age pretty terribly, if you ask me. Um, but it's it makes an impression. So please, what did you think of the big blockbuster Bruce Willis headlining A Comet's Coming to, to Destroy Us and Only America Can Save the World? Uh, I mean, traditionally, America saves the world, right? Yeah. I don't think that's anything unusual. Uh, I mean, this movie is 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 silly, to say the least, right? But it is. It's so entertaining, and there's a lot of stuff to like in a very dumb explosion movie. And even the title screen explodes. Yeah. The the titles come up and words blow apart. You know, I mean, they're very. Michael Bay is, at least in this film, very aware of what he's doing. Right? He wants to make a dumb popcorn action movie with cool effects and lots of explosions and the effects still hold up very well. Some of the CGs a bit dated. The comets hitting the earth and the explosions and the cars flipping, Michael Bay's always been good at. I think personally, once we get to the drill site on the asteroid, it starts to feel a little more Pixar to me personally. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very clearly like a little cute little set they built on the asteroid. (laughs) Um, but for for effects films of the '90s, apart from maybe Jurassic Park, it's it's still pretty decent. Well, you know. but you want to marry a good story to this. Um, before I get into the story too, and I mean we could spend this whole review talking about the bullshit science, but let's just say it's a stupid <laughs> movie and the science is shit. Because why yes. waste time on that? I'm uncomfortable with the politics of this movie. I have to say. Like, like maybe <laughs> I'm some like <laughs> left wing weakling or whatever, but yeah, that, that opening sequence where we meet all the characters who are working on the oil rig and are super macho and are firing golf balls at the Greenpeace people who are protesting them <laughs> and making fun of these earth first people, <laughs> uh, yeah. just the mentality that this movie is celebrating is what got Donald Trump elected in the United States. <laughs> like <laughs> this raw raw America picture that is being drawn here is like it's unflattering and it's also unselfconscious. Like our heroes in this movie are all dicks and unpatriotic dicks. What is their payment for saving the world? They want money. They, they want, want to, pay to never pay taxes again. <laughs> Because yeah. paying taxes is the thing that these idiots fear the worst, the most out of anything. <laughs> they fear taxes more than the end of the fucking world, right? <laughs> and yeah, again, these are the guys who are going to destroy the environment for the pipeline. And all these are also the guys that are going to turn around and save our lives. Also, yeah, yeah. is it easier to teach drillers to become astronauts or astronauts to become drillers? Again, <laughs> these are questions you just can't ask yourself. While you're watching the movie. Well, in the commentary, famously, Ben Affleck says, is directly mentions that, and he says, Michael Bay, you know, didn't, um, he's talking to Michael Bay, and he says, wouldn't it be easier to, to train the astronauts to drill? And he said, fuck off, Ben. Direct- <laughs> you're wrecking the movie, Ben. <laughs> if you think that, that, that deeply about it, you're not our audience. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Also- well, I mean, what, what a... What's the statement they're trying to make? Like, Greenpeace is trying to save the world, but it's actually these oil drillers. Yeah. The ones destroying the environment. These are the they're great the unsung heroes of America, right? <laughs> these rig workers. And they're also... The oil of industry. 
They also Literally. seem pretty low rent and like poor, considering that oil workers make some huge bank too, right? Yeah. It's also interesting yeah, rewatching it after so many years. How many people are in this movie that I totally forgot were in this movie? Owen Wilson's in this movie, right? <laughs> it's and a star-studded cast, really, isn't it? Like usual, Owen Wilson plays Owen Wilson. Uh, he's got that lazy drawl, and he says, "Wow," and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, they make a big moment of his death. And, like, I I honestly had totally forgotten he was in the movie. Billy Bob Thornton is sort of the guy who's, like, calling the shots from planet Earth. I totally yep. forgot he was doing in the movie. Also, what is Billy Bob Thornton doing in this movie? <laughs> Even in the late 90s, he didn't need the money that badly. <laughs> like, uh, uh, well, I don't know. He, um... Well, you know, it's okay. Uh, it's it was a big action movie, I guess, starring well, it's Bruce Willis, who so at the movie. time was was a um, you know a huge star. It would it would boost his profile certainly, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Why not? Why not be in a big dumb action movie for a big paycheck? It is unselfconsciously un- uh, superficial, like the whole movie, right? But again, I think like historians should study it. Like uh, this is <laughs> this is what Americans really worship, right? Bruce Willis playing the stoic, immobile action hero, the same guy he's yep. played in pretty much every movie since the late eighties, right? And we know also in real life that he's impossible, <laughs> right? Uh, Aerosmith. Once upon a time, considered a really edgy rock band, but by this late stage in their career, they've just been releasing the same power ballad over and over for thirty years, <laughs> and are being completely rewarded for it. It's, it's yep. funny how completely empty and sort of offensive the movie is, and yet it's entertaining. <laughs> I would say entertaining, but I'm not sure if I can say good. No, uh, not good, but yeah, fun. Like. <laughs> And you got to say, like, all the characters are distinct. They all have a unique character. They all do something fun and, uh, you know, stereotypes or silly as it is. You you kind of can sympathize with them, you know. You get you get a little feeling for each of them and their little story. It's a little... They've all got their story. That guy, one guy's got, you know, his, like, divorced wife and his kid and... <laughs> You know, it's little, Steve Buscemi it's little gets space madness. <laughs> Stephen Buscemi in the space madness. <laughs> uh, uh, again, uh, even if that's your best friend, and even if you've you know worked side by side with him your entire life, if he's actively endangering and jeopardizing the mission that involves saving <laughs> the planet, you got to put that dog down. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> like, and again, I, I know that's a different movie. That's not Armageddon. But I really found, like, as fun as Steve Buscemi seemed to be having, like, a lot of fun doing it. It was like, <laughs> even on top of all of this stupidity, this is really fucking stupid. <laughs> like, not enough stuff is blown I mean, up for a while. Steve, start shooting shit for no reason. <laughs> we gotta we got to tie him up and... <laughs> no, it is. It's so. It's fun though. It's so fun, and and just like him at the, at the end, like, well, well, let's not let's not mention the incident with the gun up there, right, fellas? Yeah. As, as they fly back. I was pretty sure we were all dead, and was just taking a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just blowing up some steam. You gotta love how they're mocking NASA as they 
I mean, this is another thing that doesn't make sense in the whole film. I just want to address this one. We have to like strip off all this extraneous nonsense you put on my drill, yeah. says Bruce Willis's character. And yet, you know, to save weight or whatever, but yet they're going up there with a the machine gun. <laughs> just, in case, just in case you needed it. Well, they did, and they did use it. They shot through a wall because yeah. they were predicting that possibility. And all of the business with the approach and landing on the, uh, on the asteroid was about as exciting as watching someone else play a video game to me. <laughs> just, I didn't and, feel any way to reality to that. And no matter no, how desperate... Desperate the cutting was like you can tell when Michael Bay is getting super frenetic with the editing. It's either because you know it's an action scene and he thinks that makes it action, or he's just you know hitting you with so many images that it doesn't matter that they don't make sense anymore. <laughs> right? Well, I was, yeah, I was going to mention that because the editing in that is so bad you barely understand what's happening. Like one of the ships gets hit and then then it's like what is it the liberty and the freedom or something. It's like. Yeah. Wait, who's on what ship? Who's on you can't first? tell. You don't know what's happening. <laughs> you know, just, there's just stuff happening. Someone gets sucked out of a window, yeah. and then and then they've arrived. I think, Chris. Oh. I think I would have given this movie a pass, or at least like a guilty pleasure, or a shrugging, whatever it is, what it is, movie. If it hadn't made a play in the third act so hard to try and hit my heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> The whole business with Liv Tyler monologuing to the image of her dad on the screen and, like, Ben Affleck way overplaying it. <laughs> I love you, Harry! I fucking love you, man! <laughs> it was like, you guys have been way too stupid for way too long to earn this, even a little bit. <laughs> and, again, as a viewer, I'm a little bit offended by it. And, you know... I, I hate to ramp on this sort of like patriotic America thing, right? But this is a global catastrophe. Yes, granted, it's being shown through an American lens, but again, the picture of America here, these are a bunch of unpatriotic Americans <laughs> that are being held up <laughs> as the best of the best. And I don't know, maybe if you gave me something to cheer for, or maybe if you just embraced the comedy. It really did seem it was at its most comfortable when it was at its most stupid. When somebody said something that was completely inappropriate and out of line for no reason, you know. Even if it kills the tension in the scene, it was just a goofy line. And I guarantee you probably someone just threw it out on set. What if I said this, right? Yeah. Well, that's some of the funnest part as well. It's like at the start, you know, when they're like rounding them up and doing the medical exams and they're like playing with that. They're just being totally silly. Then it's quite a fun film you know we shouldn't take this at all seriously yeah (laughs) it's not like the world's at stake just like everybody relax let's have a laugh with it so it's it's not worth getting mad at armageddon there are a lot worse movies there are a lot worse michael bay movies but i think it is of its specific time and place this is sort of a portrait of where we were at that time and i don't think it's a real flattering one no. Well, and it's it's not something they're ever going to... Well, that's not true. I was going to say, it's not something they'll ever make again, but I guess they have been with, you know, American cities and landmarks being hit, you know, pre-9-11 thing. But they're now superheroes knock down buildings. So, yeah. yeah. So, never mind. We've got over it, I guess. <laughs> We've licked our wounds, <laughs> and now mass destruction is once again interesting. Americans to join the 200,000 scientists, teachers, soldiers, and artists who have already been chosen. In addition, 
States and Russia have been building the largest spaceship ever constructed to stop the comets. We will prevail. So uh, in the late 90s, for a while, Tia Leone was of note. <laughs> People were giving her a lot of work for a little while. She had a little bubble of popularity. And now I, I feel like I haven't seen her in 10 years. <laughs> but uh, When I watched this, I was like, man, I used to see her face everywhere. And then, and then just disappeared. She's done. She's done. Uh, <laughs> she, she centers this deep impact movie. She plays a journalist who actually unbeknownst to herself even uh, breaks the biggest story in the history of the world she hears this catchphrase do you remember what it is that uh, they're referring to oh, it as it's, it's like it's an acronym and i think that the acronym is a it's a woman's a name a mistress or something yeah yeah uh, but some extinction event something like yeah that. But uh, she doesn't understand the acronym. She just understands that a lot of people higher-ups in politics and all over in military are freaking out, including people like fucking packing up a boat and sailing away. And uh, <laughs> she thinks it's some, you know, scoop on like a high-profile affair or controversy or some misappropriation of funds. So when she finds yeah. out she's breaking the story that the government has known for over a year that there's an asteroid on its way to hit the planet. Um, she is way thrown into the deep end of the pool. The pluses for this movie are that the characters are a lot more grounded and real than in Armageddon, so that we are allowed to care for them, so that some of the, I will say some, of the emotional points in the movie actually worked for me. I, I wasn't, like, bawling into a pillow or anything like that, but there was a few moments where I was like, oh, that's too bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there is a real, especially in the first two acts of the movie, sense of impending doom that, again, was really lacking in the less serious uh, Armageddon. So I appreciate that they're trying to take this more seriously. I think at the end of the day, it is another big blockbuster sort of special effects spectacular, but I appreciate that it's trying to be more. <laughs> so a moderate thumbs up for Deep Impact. <laughs> like a conditional, yeah. For what it is and for when it came out, it's fairly successful. But as you can tell, I am not foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Where do you land on Deep Impact? Uh, yeah, similar. It's lukewarm. It's, you know, it's, it's, well, it's sort of, it's not really a, anything. It's a bit, uh, you know, they a bit wishy-washy. They're like, oh, it's the end of the world and maybe there's, there is hope and we have this thing and then it, they kind of are partially successful. Right. Uh, yeah. It's like, uh, you know. But I felt uh, the reality of, you know, plan for the best, prepare for the worst. They came yeah. up with a plan to try and blow up the uh, asteroid, but they were also making this huge arc facility to try and keep humanity alive underground. And that's where, again, I think that 
when you're watching the movie, it all works and makes sense. But when the movie's over and you start thinking about individual plot points and how much would have had to have been done in secret, like... I don't like. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic that they were going to be able to keep that secret long enough for Tia Leone to to break the news. <laughs> no, uh, the, the hundred thousand contractors they hired to dig the tunnels. Yeah. Somehow, <laughs> did they just get buried in mass graves when they were done? Well, and space for what was it? Five thousand people and enough food to sustain them for ten years or something? Like, mm. like, what's the size of that facility? Like, be real. <laughs> But it yeah, gives them opportunities for things like this national lottery. Uh, like, there are certain people that they select because they are just too important to lose, especially in a in an extinction level event. But there's also people that just get their names drawn right out of a hat, and the whole idea of what a mixed blessing that would be. You know, I got my yeah. I got my Willy Wonka ticket in the mail, right? <laughs> Except for instead of going to the chocolate factory, I get to go to the place where I get to stay alive. <laughs> oh, well that would be a little better than a lifetime supply of chocolate maybe yeah living underground in a bunker yeah uh and i i personally enjoyed morgan freeman as a fairly level-headed uh president dealing with something that was you know way way uh, out of the means of anyone dealing with it's just comforting yep. to have that soulful Morgan Freeman draw. <laughs> uh, He's a class act. He can make anything sound fine. Yeah, he even, can, even the apocalypse. You could see him being really calming. He could tell you any kind of bad yeah. news. Oh, that <laughs> mushroom cloud will be beautiful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I think it's the first and second act that I really like. It's the third where it gets wonky. The whole crew yeah. of the, the astronaut crew is hardcore cliche land uh it's the that crew is sort of led by the robert duvall character i can't remember the name of the kid is it uh that oh, i'm gonna have to look up his name this is what editing is for uh he's the character has a son waiting for him back at home and he gets blinded what the hell is that uh, it's well it's not john favreau because he dies no he gets killed earlier ron eldard the character of Ron Eldred is the youngest guy on the crew. He's got a new baby at home, and, you know, she gives birth to the kid while he's going up, and <laughs> he gets blinded, so he has to talk to his baby, but he doesn't get to see his baby. And it's so saccharine and, like, overdone. Yeah. And he's like, the end of the world wasn't enough. He has to have a blind conversation with his newborn baby on the moments before he dies. It's just with his hands on the monitor. Yeah. And you were making fun of Ben Affleck. Yeah, no, but that was the Ben Affleck moment of this movie. <laughs> it, it was supposed it's... to be really powerful, and it just it didn't land. It didn't land. Uh, that's true. Um, I mean, it is so interesting how these two films came out uh, within months of each this other. This came out in May, and then. Uh, then Armageddon came out in June July or something, or something yeah. and um, and I think like this is definitely this is not something that I even remembered particularly not just because my father watched Armageddon a lot but because you know this is this doesn't have any of the same peaks of of silliness or anything particularly to really like stick in your mind it kind of just one of the, it just fades away well, uh, I think that's the sort of serious tone of the movie. They wanted it to feel grounded and close to real as blockbuster cinemas will imagine. And uh, that kind of meant taking, pull, you know, cutting a lot of the jokes. 
and uh, dialing yeah, back the true. spectacle a little bit. Yeah. But I think that they made a uh, real... They were really good about their casting, first of all, I think. Like, even in small roles. The uh, astronaut who first sees the comet is Charles Martin Smith. Great Canadian character actor. And you see him at the start of the movie, and you figure, oh, here's a great supporting player. He lasts, like, five minutes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to have to look up another actor here. Richard Schiff, who plays Elijah Wood's father, I think has just an amazing scene when they're all lined up to go on the ark because Elijah was one of the people who first spotted the comet so they gave him a seat with his with his family and he decides he can't do it he has to go try and rescue his girl and uh, his father knows he can't talk his son out of it so he just starts stripping all of his jewelry off and taking his money out of his wallet to give his son stuff to like trade with and he like <laughs> has to hug his son and basically let him go to his death and this yeah. is like a, not even a secondary character. This is like a tertiary character as far as we're concerned. And that scene was fucking strong. It was everything the Ron Eldred scene wasn't, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's followed by I mean, Elijah Wood outrunning a tidal wave on a quad. On a quad you yeah, know? <laughs> and definitely the, uh, the effects in this film are uh, nowhere near Armageddon level specifically the water time. the flooding stuff is... yeah that wave is bad that wave is bad and this it does also feel more dated than again there's a lot more 90s beige computers yeah. in this film well if you watch armageddon now it's it's really like the tech doesn't look particularly uh you know of its time you know it's all like in nasa there's just big desks of nasa looking computers and yeah and you don't really see anything that that dates it and also because Michael Bay has this weird, like, it's like a fifties nostalgia thing. We see like shots of America and it's, and it's, you know, farmlands and kids running and look at these innocents who are about to be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, the payoffs work enough. Tia Leone has a broken relationship with her father. Her father broke her mother's heart. Her mother ended up taking her own life as a result of it. And, you know, at the end of the movie, she ends up, in her father's arm, waiting for the wave to come and hit them and wipe them out. Yeah. And uh, it worked enough. I mean, it's kind of a cliche that they're both better people through this adventure together, (laughs) but it's cushioned by the fact that they don't really get that happy ending. Uh, They managed to spare the world actual Armageddon, but uh, one of the asteroids broken in half, and half of it hits the planet, and we do get to see that devastation. Because that's yep. that's what got tickets sold, right? We didn't yep. we didn't come here to not see the comet hit, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's I mean that's the poster was the actual comet hitting the, the, earth. the earth, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So in that way they kinda had their cake and ate it too. But yeah. uh for me that's less of a compromise than Armageddon made. <laughs> but it's still a compromise. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's where I end up. It's well acted. I think, yeah, other than, like I say, some of the water effects, most of the stuff works, has aged pretty well. But the first two acts of the movie don't match with the third act of the movie. They're still good enough no, for it, me to recommend it, but I wish it was more of a complete piece because I think yeah. then it would actually be more mem- remembered. And uh, Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of focus on, like, Tia Loney's characters, like, her career and everything, and, like, well, I need this scoop to, you know, yeah. go up in the world. And then I guess, well, I guess the whole point of that is then 
how how important is all that shit when 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 the when the end of the world is coming that's right uh and yeah. again there's a really small moment early in the film where she's been sort of desked after this original scoop comes out and then her boss gives her the anchor the desk position that she's been wanting for the sign and like why now all of a sudden and he's like never yeah. hide a story from me again and i'm like <laughs> seriously Sorry, like the highest ranking government officials and the president of the United States himself met her in confidence and told her to keep this shit quiet. (laughs) And she almost lost her job over that. (laughs) Also, is there a bigger story than that that she could have fucking broken? Again, it was just this one moment. It's like, really? (laughs) Yeah, sorry, boss. I didn't want to end up at a CIA black site. Did we need this moment (laughs) of conflict? Again, the, the potential end of the world, not enough. Friction at work. (laughs) (laughs) But if you like this type of movie, here's another one. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say about Deep Impact? No, that's it, buddy. The machines are starting to take over. Judgment Day. The end of the world. Today, three hours from now. Get away from me! Now! What is your mission? To ensure the survival of John Connor. You are about to fail! That mission! You don't have to do this! You don't want to do this! Desire is irrelevant. I am a machine. So after a brief intermission, (laughs) we're back with the review (laughs) of Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines from 2003. Here's an interesting thing about this movie. Uh, I remember not really liking it very much at all when I first saw it. I, I dutifully got it on DVD because of my collector's sickness. And like I guess I knew it wasn't a terrible movie, but it just wasn't the Terminator you wanted it to be. Terminator 1 was a game-changing, you know, 1984 epic piece of action film- filmmaking. And Terminator 2 was a cutting-edge piece of special effects filmmaking, as well as a fairly exhilarating action movie on top of it. So if you're coming into Terminator 3, I, 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 I set the bar maybe unrealistically high. But fast forward, we've had two pretty subpar Terminator sequels after this now, (laughs) and coming back to revisit it. Although the shit that doesn't work really doesn't work, I find I approach Terminator 3 with a much kinder heart than I did in 2003. I actually think a lot more of it works than I remember. When it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. The humor in the movie is almost <laughs> uniformly off. And any time they're winking back to old Terminator, or we get a cameo from that shrink from the Terminator 2, it's like, hey guys, remember the other better movies? <laughs> you know, it was just a mistake. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the humor, not so great. And it's sort of a retread. They didn't push forward the story until the third act. So, uh... 
coming back to it, I like it more than I did, but I'm not sure if it's because it's such an awesome movie or if it's just because the subsequent uh, Terminator movies have so thoroughly shat the bed for me that all of a sudden Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines seems pretty okay. <laughs> so that's where I start on Jonathan Mostow's Terminator 3, but I would love to hear what you have to say. Well, um... I believe you said before we started recording that I recommended you watch Terminator Genesis. Yes. And uh, when I when I heard you say that, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I, I said that to you. Well, but you I said that I should watch it. Was you didn't necessarily yes. recommend it. You said I should watch it. Yes. <laughs> and I yes, did. Correct. Correct. I think it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Terminator Three. It was. It's Terminator. The Terminator 1 2, fantastic, as you said. Terminator 2 is up there with the best sequels in movies, yeah. in movie history. Aliens, um, Empire Strikes Back, they're the, the Terminator 2, they're the gold standard, yeah. basically, for sequels, right? Bigger. And so I better. think everyone was expecting. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so everyone, well, we kind of. Did we know in 2003 that the third movie is never as good? <laughs> we, we, everyone knows that now. But, yeah, it was there was expectations. And I remember seeing this and, and like you, being quite disappointed and thinking how old Arnold looks. Yeah. <laughs> Watching it now, I was thinking, my God, he looks so young. He looks great. He looks great. <laughs> good to go. Well, The Terminator is a classic, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger role, and like it's easy to say he does it well. He's been doing it since 1984, and it justifies his sort of flat delivery and, you know, his sort of wooden movements, you know, like, uh, I mean, he's acting it, it's not just Schwarzenegger, you know, flumming his way through it, but... This is not a stretch for him at all <laughs> anymore, right? It's old hand. It's no. comfortable. It's comfortable to get in that leather jacket and put on those sunglasses for him. So I think there's a little bit of worn with use, but I would argue that they didn't change the formula enough. Basically, we're redoing part one and two again. It's protect John Connor and the Claire Danes character. Only this time, the evil Terminator that's sent to kill him is this new upgrade. It's a female Terminator. And uh, she's part nanotechnology, part liquid metal, part regular Terminator. And she has weapons inside her that are specifically meant to kill other Terminators. So she's, you know, another upgrade. Now that may feel like a step forward, but this really is Terminator 2 again. John's just older and we've replaced his, uh, you know, hot kick-ass mom with a hot kick-ass girlfriend. (laughs) Yep, true enough. It it is... uh, It... It's it, it doesn't yeah you're right it doesn't do enough and um and it's it starts off it's quite embarrassing like the like you were saying the jokes don't land at all like the he gets a leather jacket from the gay stripper yeah and the Terminator Lady Terminator um <laughs> grows her boobs because a cop pulls her over yeah so she he'll be distracted like, oh, or something it's, it's it seems, you know, it feels parodic of of the other two, and then, yeah, and it doesn't really pick up until when the action starts. They have a really great, really great sequence. Absolutely, is the is the, is the car chase with the uh, crane, the cars being driven by her, and it's like all practical stuff. It's all real cars flipping in the air. 
Yeah, and, and that's the and, stuff uh, that really works for me. Like, uh, there's a great moment uh, where he makes the crane drop its wire like into a sewer grate and leads out enough wire so that when it runs over, the entire crane does this huge flip. This is well before yeah. the Dark Knight flip. I remember everyone being impressed, man. They flipped a semi. Well, they flipped a fucking <laughs> crane in, in Terminator <laughs> yeah. 3, and it was pretty awesome. <laughs> like, it was, yeah. That's when it's working, when the movie's moving forward and it has energy to it. When it stops for plot points or character beats, that's when you really hear the wheels start to squeal, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, but again, looking at where we've gone to from this, like, I think at the time I remember being kind of shocked and but equally blasé that we lead to the actual end of the our world. It, in a real way, this is actually Judgment Day. Terminator 3 is not just Rise of the Machine. Terminator 3 was really Judgment Day, right? Terminator yeah. 2, they just managed to postpone Judgment Day. We see it go down in this movie. And they don't do a lot to prepare you for that to the good of the movie, I think. I was sort of yeah. surprised for it, being more prepared for it this time. I saw a little bit more going on in the background, and uh, it, it made the movies... Uh, if it was just a matter of, oh, we killed the evil Terminator dust off, it wouldn't have felt like it is a good enough an ending. The dropping no. of the bombs gave the movie a big finish. It might not have earned that big finish, but like it or not, it was it was effective. Yeah, it was. And that also, uh, I was also very surprised for that. As surprised as, you know, John Connor is when he gets in the bunker and he's like, this is this is just an old old place from the 60s. It's abandoned. There's nothing here. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, I, and then, it, you know, it kind of makes the, the time travel paradox, the, the grandfather paradox. Right. Now, well, okay. Yeah, it makes sense now. It has to because... You can't stop the Judgment Day. The Terminators will, you know, well, be able to come back from the future. So, do we want to do this? Work, do we but... want to get into the time travel shit? Because, like, I, I, I oh, can. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's the thing: it's the moment for me that Judgment Day happens isn't when the bombs drop; it's when they turn over control to Skynet. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you didn't need to, st you know, explode a building or stop the computers. The thing to do is to stop that. From taking place yeah. and that's not a card even mentioned let alone played in the movie right there were ways to stop this or to pro prolong it again but how many more time paradoxes are we going to create how complicated <laughs> is this going to be is marty mcfly going to come back to his house uh, and not remember his entire childhood with these parents like <laughs> so generally speaking when you're dealing with time travel my advice is to just go with it um in my view, the Terminator timeline makes sense enough. Time travel goes one way and, you know, all of the things that happened will have repercussions in the future. But in the future, they can continually, presumably, keep on throwing balls back. So, <laughs> unfortunately, so far, the Terminator movies have been much more interested in blowing shit up than really getting too deep into that. But again, time travel is muddy, muddy water. It's really hard to do in a way that really makes sense and is satisfying or doesn't get convoluted and boring like I just did. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's something, uh, the, the willing suspension of disbelief is very important for any time travel yes. film. Yes, yes. Yeah, don't think about it too hard. And I believe they even directly made that joke in 
one of the Austin Powers movies to, yeah. but again, <laughs> to camera. <laughs> in an Austin Powers movie, it's a very satirical environment. Um, I'll give some points to um, Claire Danes and Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl must have, you know, had his shit a little bit together still in 2003. He's kind of fallen off the map still. Claire Danes is off, obviously went on to do Homeland, but I think she gives a pretty grounded performance. This is a character who has a lot of shit thrown at her, and she goes from not believing and being terrified to believing and being really terrified. And uh, I don't know, it wouldn't be as easy a needle to thread as I think you might think. <laughs> I think in a way the Nick Stahl stoic I've got a I've got a heavy burden and uh, a dark future to fight with. Uh, I mean it's it's standard you know dark hero stuff, but a lot easier to deal with than I think what she was handling. And I don't know what to say about the female like Terminator. I, I, I'm genuinely split on her. There are moments that are working for me, and there are moments that don't. I feel on on whole both of the Terminators have too much emotion in this movie. Mm, they're a little bit, uh, yeah. There's a little too much eyebrow raising going yeah. on. With <laughs> uh, even before, well, I guess we we learn more that this Terminator has been around people before. But when he comes out again of the of the strip club and he's got those weird star glasses like over the top, yes. flamboyant glasses on. And he chooses to take them off and crush them with his boot. To what? Amuse himself? Was that part of his program? No, that was for the yeah, audience, does. right? Yeah. Uh, when uh, the female Terminator is having trouble or getting stuck to that mag super magnet or whatever, she seems furious. And when she thinks she's about to be destroyed, she seems desperate and terrified. And again, I think the Terminators are much more frightening when they're just all business right yes just unstoppable killing machines like like they were yeah yeah and um and just as a, as a side note she's called the tx right like is that at, did the did cyberdyne the, the the computer system decide that the marketing department you know we need to oh this is a new lady terminator <laughs> it's not it's not in the serial range you know, like we had the T-800, the T-1000, and then this is, you know, well, rebranded. Yeah, well, it's a girl Terminator. We got to we gotta mix it up. Uh, if you bought the action <laughs> figure, was there a button that would make her boobs get bigger? Is that how? <laughs> I mean, there should have been. Yeah. <laughs> Linda Hamilton is a missing, I think, ingredient in the franchise as well. Uh, it kind of sucks that Sarah Connor gets executed off screen, well, killed. From, she dies from cancer off screen, and she just talked about she was such a powerful, you know, transformation from the, the meek victim we meet in, in the first Terminator to the warrior that <laughs> we meet in Terminator yeah. 2 to just be nothing, really, but a, a conversation in this movie yeah. is disappointing. Was was there some reason like Linda Hamilton didn't want to do it? Or? Well, she'd clearly fallen out with James Cameron. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how attached to this project he was. He probably just had sold the rights at this point and it was off the books. But either maybe she was, you know, she hasn't been doing a lot of acting lately or had negative associations or I don't know. That was just the script that they came up with. But I missed that character. Uh, well, she's, she's like, along with Ripley like the best you know uh, female hero sci-fi hero yeah. whatever in, in anything basically you know, i still like think said, even ripley would beat her in a fight but uh it would be a great <laughs> fight 
Mm. <laughs> it, would be, it would be close. It would be close. <laughs> like, well, yeah, because her arc is, is great because, you know, from, from like you said, the meek, meek uh, waitress yeah. who's getting ice cream put in her dress to at the, at the end of the movie, she's ordering Kyle Reese around, you know, like on your feet, soldier. Yeah. And, and then in Terminator 2 where she's this, like, crazy anarchist commando. Yeah. And, like, her performance is so incredible. You know, like, she has, uh, she's, like, tough. And then when she encounters Miles Dyson, she has the breakdown. And, yeah. you know, you really, like, totally connect with her more than anyone else in the series. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's the main character, basically. I think we might Edward have hit Dunham. on it, too, though, because as of this point, the ball is passed to John Connor. Yeah. All of the other movies now are really kind of John Connor oriented. And uh, maybe that was where we went wrong. Maybe at the end of it, the, the main character was Sarah Connor. But yeah. in the end, I don't want to be too mean because uh, it works enough for me. I actually had a good time watching it. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a chore, but it, it went by at a decent clip for me. Like I said, the, the jokes that don't land really don't land, but the movie moves enough and it has that sort of dour ending that kind of kind of hits you so i guess it's one of the better terminator sequels but <laughs> it is still quite the fall from judgment we found something extraordinary extraordinary and disturbing that is you recall what you said about how polar melting might disrupt the north atlantic current yes We've hit some unusual turbulence. Uh, we've encountered a cloud layer that's abnormally high. You all right? Please He's afraid of flying. The government has to start making long-term preparations now. Jack, all you have is a theory. It's been raining like this for three days now. Mr. Vice President, if we don't act now, it's going to be too late. I'm afraid that time has come and gone, my friend. What can we do? Save as many as you can. The storm is just gonna get worse. What should we do? I will come for you. Do you understand me? So I'm going to go with steady nerves into this conversation about the day after tomorrow. <laughs> the last time I talked about Roland Emmerich, we were talking about his Godzilla movie. And it, that movie <laughs> really pissed me off. Like, in a way few movies do, that movie I found genuinely infuriating. And uh, I have said mean things about Roland Emmerich. Like, I do believe that Independence Day is not only his best movie... It will always be his best movie. Like, I am so generally speaking <laughs> not a fan of his works. The way some people cringe when a trailer says, from director Michael Bay, I have that reaction when it says Roland Emmerich. I've just been burned too many times. 
So again, Roland Emmerich is like the inferior Michael Bay. Exactly, <laughs> which is you know bad enough. For some reason, Michael Bay takes all of the hits, and Roland Emmerich just keeps on throwing these like bombs after bomb after bomb. <laughs> it's interesting. I was just reading the there's one of the trivia notes that they have on IMDb said that like they took the script to NASA to get feedback, and NASA's basically <laughs> said this is completely insane. We don't know how to critique it, and we're gonna just spend. They, they apparently sent like a spam email basically saying if any producer wants to talk to you about the day after tomorrow, it is a waste <laughs> of your time. <laughs> so the question what? becomes: Is it so dumb and so pretty? That it gets away with it. <laughs> is it another Godzilla or is it another Independence Day? Where do you land? I think this is a poor film. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can agree on that. <laughs> this is um, this has got I don't know. There's very little works in this movie. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Is is pretty good. He's always good. He's a, he's a pretty classy act. We call him Jake Gyllenhaal in my house. Gyllenhaal. Oh, yes. <laughs> my wife's got a crush on this Donnie is, Darko. Are you sure this is not a name you insisted on marrying? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's fine. Actually, the cast pretty much across the board. I know I'm not ashamed or embarrassed for anybody. I mean, like yeah. it's a paycheck performance, and like a lot of them, you can sort of tell it's a paycheck performance, but they're professional actors. They're there to work. I, yeah. I, I don't question the, the decisions for the casting, really. Dennis Quaid has played that noble, heroic, you know, figure for decades. And he will keep on going. He's just like, uh, you know, good movie, bad movie. He's always, you know, dependably Dennis Quaid, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, so basically, yeah... Finally, climate change lets its claws loose, and uh, the world is spun into a, a series of huge super winter solar storms. And uh, the climate is changing so rapidly that there's no possible way to prepare for it. And as fate would dictate, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and his father have been separated by <laughs> basically an entire country. And uh, <laughs> since the planes can't fly or whatever, it becomes this sort of epic quest of reunion. Jake Gyllenhaal held, held up in a now slowly freezing downtown New York City, hold up in a library with a bunch of strangers, and uh, Dennis Quaid questing to get to his son. And over on top this, we see, you know, the military response, scientists from around the world, faces that we can meet, get to know, and then see die. Basically, <laughs> peripheral to the main stretch of the story. I mean, they don't reinvent the wheel with it. Where it just goes crazy is like, some of the decisions that are made for for one case yeah. like global warming as a huge global catastrophe not enough stakes for the movie okay they're gonna they're gonna throw wolves into this for some reason we want to have wolves be a real adversary for our, our characters okay that's a dumb decision <laughs> but you're gonna have wolves why yeah. make the decision to not at any point have anything but CGI wolves? Why not an establishing shot of real wolves? Like, why not when they were in their yeah. pens, at least? There are just, like, straightforward decisions made by the movie that I was like, look, I know you're just trying to be a big, dumb popcorn movie, and that gives you some latitude. But even by big, dumb popcorn movie decision-making, 
that shit is stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the <laughs> first scene, I think, for me, is when the the camera is chasing them down the hallway and they have to close the door to stop the cold. Yes. From, from like, murdering them instantaneously. Yes. There are these very sudden rapid temperature drops. And by drops, they mean very literally not just the temperature diving, but you can see the buildings, like yielding and crunching and moaning with the ice as they as like this invisible barrier drops down upon them almost as stupid as them trying to run away from the wind in the happening but i think the happening manages to even out stupid the day after tomorrow <laughs> well done m night Shyamalan. <laughs> Uh, it's unfortunate too because this is a very obviously real fear that a lot of people have because I think uh, you know climate change is not a hoax I think that that is global warming is a very real thing and I think that that's a lesson humanity is going to eventually have to learn the hard way uh, what that means you know how devastating that is to what degree uh, nobody knows and to that measure it's a really potent subject for disasters, mm-hmm. science fiction, you know, what have you. So it's unfortunate it's limited to a light show, but I would have even given it a pass if it gave us some twister-level energy and spectacle in a consistent way. Yeah, it's certainly um, a very, very heavy-handed with the environmental message. Right. Um, which, um, okay, the Hollywood blockbuster, you're never going to get too much subtlety, and, and maybe... <laughs> Maybe for some people, they need to they need to be hit overhead with a hammer. Well, and to it, get it, but at least it's a counterbalance. We were talking during Armageddon, as that movie is kind of aggressively right wing. So this is like yeah. the aggressively <laughs> left wing blockbuster. Right? Yeah, yeah. So right down to like the the comically villainous um, climate change denier, of course, ice president or something. <laughs> I think he is. Further yeah, study I mean... is needed. Further study is needed. <laughs> yeah, which is which is okay, fine. But you could let that go if if the movie was a bit, I don't know, the tonally or something like. It's it's kind basically everything the characters go through is kind of achieved without particular struggle. Right. It's like oh, they are frozen in the library, yeah. but it's kind of okay. They burn some books and it passes. They don't get desperate. Like his dad walks across the tundra and he loses one friend, but they they they're chilling in the tent. They're pretty comfy, you know. When the night comes, yeah. Like, you could have like played those parts, like throw in like the survival element yeah. into that, like make it a bit grim, make it like desperate, like or you know the the wolves are at the door and we have no food and and you know oh my god maybe. What 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 does man have to resort to to survive? Well, and you and could have had all that in there. That's the trick of making a fun disaster movie. Like we recently did a <laughs> sort of human nature versus mother nature episode, which had a lot of disaster movies on it. And that's I think a choice you just have to make in the movie. You either you know are playing this for entertainment or you're taking it seriously. I don't think you can do both. And uh, that's why I think the discordant stuff really feels because, yeah, a lot of the times people don't feel the stakes. Narratively, we feel more of the stakes of is this father and son going to be reunited than millions of people are dying. 
And the second you start acknowledging that or taking that seriously, any of the fun comes out of the movie, right? Like the energy starts to deflate and it's like, oh my God, this is, this is awful. Right. So how do you, how do you thread that needle? How do you walk that tightrope where it's still a fun popcorn spectacle about possibly, you know, two thirds of the world's population being killed? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's true, and it it does not find the it does not find the balance there. Like with Armageddon, it it's dumb and fun, right? And the apocalyptic nature of it is glossed over. And with these final hours, which we'll get to after, yeah. that is the total polar opposite. You know, right. that is grim humanity. And this is just wavering, you know, uncomfortably between, in the middle. And it's, yeah, it ends up as as being a, sort of nothing. <laughs> And and then <laughs> a bit of nothing, and then you end up with dated special effects, uh, you know, fourteen years later. Right. Yeah, it's funny how quickly special effects are starting to not look as good, isn't it? Because I remember being pretty impressed. The one good thing I could say, I remember when I saw this movie when it came out, was well, at least it looked cool. There was stuff that looked cool, but now some of those, especially the bigger the shot, it seems, the less I believe it in a lot of ways. It's strange. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Uh, Tom Rooney is an actor has a small part he's one of the survivors in the library who refuses to let them burn the what was it the Gideon Bible or uh, I can't remember oh, the, what the encyclopedia he was, it was an encyclopedia he was arguing with her with a woman about burning a Bible or something whatever it was yeah. anyway that's Tom Rooney I've met him a couple times he's a Saskatchewan actor He's a nice guy. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I don't, I don't know him a lot, but I know him, so I'm just going to say, I know a guy who was in the day after tomorrow. <laughs> um, and it was, at least when it opened, the highest opening movie for a movie filmed in Canada. Yes, this is another yeah. one of the many American blockbusters that are employing <laughs> actors, creators, and special effect technicians in Canada. <laughs> I would say like a third of the movies that are set in America are shot in Canada. <laughs> uh, this is just a particularly big beast of one. And uh, it's sad to say that a movie about the end of the world, that's one of the more interesting things I can think to say about it. Soon. This is disorder. We're going to the front. Open the gate. We know you well, Mr. Curtis. We've been watching you. Precisely 74% of you shall die. Everybody back! I'm not a leader. You're ready, Ali. So Jun Ho Bong is I I'm phonetically saying that name is the name of this director and like he's interesting. Uh, I've seen a couple of his other films. Uh, most interesting to me is one on Netflix called Okja. I've seen it too. What it a is, what that, a, that is, what a yep, wonderfully strange movie, right? 
Uh, With the wackiest performances from all the white people in that. Absolutely. In it's, <laughs> it's a head-scratcher, but it's very watchable. So, Okja, a little yep. peripheral recommendation. He brings us Snowpiercer, and uh, this is a tough one for me. I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm genuinely torn <laughs> about this movie. <laughs> I was curious what you thought about this one. It's full of really great stuff. Like, where else are you going to see Captain America deliver a monologue about eating a baby? You know? (laughs) Tilda Swinton seems to understand her environment a little more than a lot of the other cast and is playing this up to a sort of over-the-top cartoonish level that makes her both very entertaining and very hateable villain, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And there are isolated moments and scenes and performances throughout the movie that I'm just like dizzied and impressed by the filmmaking. I find the premise absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Almost as ridiculous as, as the end, world ending in three days? Yeah. Because of global warming? <laughs> well, more so. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, well, it is. It is absolutely absurd. It's um, absolutely the absurd. Motion train. So the, the 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 way to save humanity is to build a train that goes around the world at a hyper speed and just plows through all the snow and keeps on moving. And somehow that railroad and that train is the easiest way to deal with this. The best thing to construct, and that and that track is not going to fall apart or fall victim to any kind of natural disasters. And there's like all if you ask any kind of question of this movie. And I don't want to be that guy saying that's fake, but it's just like on a premise level, it's almost childish in its simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, the lower class at the back of the train and the top class at the front of the train and the lower class is eating bugs and the top class is eating steaks and they're going to fight their way to the front of the train and make this real visual sort of journey from the dull drums to the like... It feels like it would be like a creative writing class if someone said, these are all the standard, you know, archetypes of a, you know, a, a science fiction platform that's making comments on the social strata, right? You yeah. got to have people yeah. representing the people without and the people representing those with power and how they're manipulating. And you got to give, you know, them a chance to switch places. So much about the movie is so familiar or so dumb that it almost takes me out of it. But then I fall back on these performances, on these isolated scenes, on these action sequences. And I'm like, those are really good. Like, one scene at a time, I like this movie. But collectively, it's this huge (laughs) fucking mess. I don't know how else to put it. A beautiful mess that only an artist could make. But I just can't get past the super train. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I can't get past it. So uh, it, I, I hate being that guy. I, I will watch Freddy Krueger movies and never question anything that happens in it. Like, I don't want to be, it's that's fake. But yeah. it, it, it was a big pill that we were being asked to swallow. And not everybody was playing at Arch. Like we talk about Okja, how it manages to successfully, in a way, jump moods and tones <clears throat> quite dramatically and jarringly and usually that bucks me off of a movie but this guy seems to have his own little world that he's dancing in and i'm starting to adjust to it in the same way some people will either be attracted to or repelled by a wes anderson movie you just kind of get that this guy has his own rule book and you kind of learn them and like them (laughs) 
So yeah. I, I remain a fan of the director. I would watch any movie that he made just to see what come out of his brain. But what do I think of Snowpiercer? I am I don't know what to tell you, Chris. I like a lot of it, and I don't like a lot of it. I'll watch it again, probably. Like it's one of those movies I have the feeling like that I'll just keep revisiting because I want to like it as much as so many other people do. But I'm stuck right in the middle. Well, I do. I do like it. I like it more than you, I think. And um, maybe we can charitably call it high concept sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> you know. This, this, this is the world except that here's the story but and like the acting is is fantastic great and cast like you said so many isolated scenes that that stick out in your mind it's so like i can think back on this movie and i can instantly think like when they they smash the guy's arm yep. when they're fighting when they're fighting in the dark in the train car well they're all always in a train car when they're fighting in the dark when they turn the lights off with the night vision and everything when they when the poor people finally get into the the like um terrarium and the aquarium carts like that the the teacher the manic teacher teaching the kids about the train it'll it all the rave scene like it's all there it's all it all sticks with you in a way that these you know like um, the day after tomorrow certainly doesn't. They they definitely deal in archetypes here too, right? <laughs> like yeah. uh, the bad people are really really bad. <laughs> it's not yeah. good enough that they subjugate you and that they orchestrate every element of your life and force you to eat bugs, but like they hate you and they enjoy <laughs> doing this to you. Like I would want to be more interested in seeing them where like they feel like. They're in this position of power. They have to control the population, uh, both the numbers of the population and, and you know, keep stability. Because what's on this super train is what's left of humanity. I, mm. I Again, it just gets hard to believe that Tilda Swinton would just enjoy her job so much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the fucking smugness of Ed Harris's character, you know. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I employ child labor, but... It's all good, right? It's all good. The, the school teacher, the pregnant school teacher, probably the got the Uzi? machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> and what was with that one unfucking killable henchman who takes out like two thirds of Chris Evans' team? <laughs> yeah, I was I starting to wonder if he was a robot or something. <laughs> but then it's that guy. Yeah, he's just this unstoppable. A got on the train. <laughs> Well, then, should have been played by Arnold. It really should, it could have been. Like, like, wouldn't have been out of place. <laughs> as we move car to car, and I say this as a compliment to the movie, you have no fucking idea what you're going to get. And that's sort of exciting, but <laughs> when I mean no idea, mm. I mean from completely good to completely random to completely off-tone to completely on-tone, moment to moment. And I think that's yeah, what a lot of people find exciting about the movie. But uh, I don't know. Between the premise and the tone, mm, it fights me. It fights me. <laughs> there's only there's only like the tiniest nod to the absurdity. I think in um, <clears throat> maybe in the school sequence where where they're like everyone said that uh, Mister the train the guy who built the train right. was crazy, but now. You see, kids, everything's fine. We're, on, we're the only people left on the train. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't know. It's 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 un, it was like unpredictable. It was visually exciting. Yeah, I can't hate it despite despite it being you know a bit all over the place. All over the place, but fun, but exciting, but something something there's something there for me that is the way to put it all over the place and uh i think i might have i'm still at war with it like i feel like this is one of these reviews where i want to be giving this a positive review but there's something fighting me inside i think if they would have closed it really well but it's the classic sci-fi thing endings are hard what what is that conversation when you get that car and is it satisfying you know I, it's great to see John Hurt, but every element of John Hurt's character seems, again, industry standard sci-fi, right? The father figure hero who is, you know, leads the hero on his way, but we find out is in his own way part of the machine. And then we're sad when he dies, right? But is it a heroic act to derail that train? Well, quite, quite a crazy... Uh quite a crazy crash it's amazing anyone survived in the end but yeah you're right like we don't have there's no there's no particularly satisfying conclusion there we don't no the, he's doomed the human race with this action yeah I mean, let's just yeah, be yeah. real they're not going to be able to survive that even though the movie tries to end in a so like oh look there's a polar bear polar bears are living these people have been living on a train their entire fucking lives. They don't know how to survive a man in this entire, like, Arctic landscape. They are fucked. No, Anybody true. who lived through that <laughs> that crash, who wasn't, you know, injured enough to eventually die of those wounds, <laughs> are going to either freeze or starve to death. So yes, Polar bears are significantly better than people like, wandering around in the snow. <laughs> well, and again... I guess if there's enough fish for a polar bear to eat, maybe some hard hardened fuckers might be able to make a way. But like, <laughs> it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a heroic act at the end of the movie. It seemed like the heroic thing was to keep that train going, but to stop the lunacy of how it was operated, right? Mm. But no, the whole system must come down, and the whole system takes down humanity with it. Yeah, perhaps perhaps stop the train for yeah. a bit. And then, let's all take five. Everyone was going to have a half day, right? <laughs> and we're going to do some talking and we're going to sort out this shit out because too many people are eating bugs and living in filth. And uh, this ain't right. Yeah. Um, but it's, the thing is, Chris, is that I'm doing the thing that I always say not to do when we're watching genre movies is like, accept the premise, stop fighting the premise. And for some reason, I was fighting the premise and i usually will let go of that like i said whatever you want whatever story you want to tell okay i will i will go with it but yeah. for some reason maybe it's because half the cast were taking it really seriously and half the cast were playing it cartoony or i don't know maybe it should have been animated or something I, there was just a layer of separation that wasn't it was keeping me out of it well, I think it was uh, originally based off a French graphic novel. That sounds right. Something I believe like that. that. Yeah. It, you know, it's one of these high concept visual things, right? I Like I say, I'm a fan of the director. I'm a fan of the cast. I'm a fan of the execution. And yet somehow yeah. I have mixed feelings about the movie. What well, does that make sense? I don't know. But that's that's where I land on <laughs> Snowpiercer. Yeah, fair enough. Anything else you want to say about the movie? 
No, that that'll do. Did I did I mow over you again? <laughs> no, no, you're doing all right, Harry. You're doing all right, mate. All right. Good day, no worries, mate. Is there anybody out there? It's happened. Approximate location of impact: the North Atlantic. As I speak to you right now, it's making its way towards our fair nation. We have 12 hours, people. Oh, you dead. It's gonna hurt. And I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel a thing. I hope you're looking after yourselves out there and each other. These are things we got to hold on to. Apocalyptic film uh, directed by Ozzy. I assume Zach Hilditch. Hilditch? Hilditch it is. Uh, again, pronouncing it phonetically. <laughs> assuming assuming it is as it is spelled. Um, it kind of flew under the radar in 2013. I just sort of showed up on a rack one day, and me being the fan of dark sci fi, I picked it up blind, and uh, I'm glad I did. I. Uh, said I think briefly in the introduction that I feel like this movie kind of holds hands with a really great Canadian movie called Last Night that uh, Don McKellar made. Uh, in that movie we don't know the specifics of the apocalypse, we just know that the world's on a clock and we watch all of these different citizens of this city wind it down. This is a similar idea set across uh, various places in, in, in Australia, focusing on this main character Jim who rescues a little girl named Rose who was about to be looked like raped and tortured because some fucking crazy dudes that's how they wanted to spend their last few hours was fucking with a child and he's torn he's torn on many reasons because his girlfriend had just confessed to him that she was pregnant and considering the circumstances of the end of the world he almost wishes she hadn't told him that like everybody's head wasn't fucked up enough already let's throw that on the fire too and then all of a sudden he's put in a position of fathering this lost child and really his priorities are all over the place you'd almost justify him in abandoning her because every conversation he's having with every person is the last conversation he's ever going to have with that person every second that goes by is a second closer to death by fire and uh, the stakes of that are succinctly felt throughout the movie in a way it is not felt in any of the other movies we talked about. It is not a light show. It is not a special effects spectacular. It's a fairly intense drama. And I think it's great. <laughs> so that's where I start <laughs> with these final hours. Well, I 
had I, I watched this one last because I had seen or been aware of all the other, you know, I, th- I think I've seen all the other movies before, and I was like, what is this crazy low budget film no. Larry sent to me with a fairly average uh, cover? And you were, like, you oh, were preparing uh, yourself for another Red Sands. <laughs> exactly. What? It's exactly what I was thinking. Even the, <laughs> even, the, even the tone of the colors on the front is the same. <laughs> but, but I was instantly drawn in because they go past, just for a second, there's a statue of Neptune. And that is in a place called Two Rocks. And that is north of Perth. And I was like, what the f- This is the first movie I've ever seen in my life set where I live. (laughs) And then he's driving through the suburbs and you can see Perth City in the distance and the Perth Hills behind it. And I was was like, oh my God, I'm I'm into this right away. But, but besides that bias, this is this is excellent film, and this is so unlike the others because this there is no hope. It's hopeless from the start. They tell us that right off the bat there is someone is operating a, a, a ham radio or something yeah. broadcasting. No, well, the asteroid has hit when we we start. Yeah. It's already happening. It's already happened, and like where as as time as the twelve hours are ticking down the narrator is saying oh this country's been wiped off the map and you know i don't know what to say and good luck everyone basically yeah. and it's so it's so bleak and and this guy is uh james or jim he's um you know he's he just he just wants to get fucked up yeah and and he you know he, he he's the end's approaching and he doesn't know what to do and this is uh, a film where you can get very, very film school metaphor about it because it ultimately is telling the story of, of why should anyone be good or why do we do anything when ultimately we all die one day and we yeah. disappear, you know? And what happens when it's, we're confronted with it? Like, yeah, and it's, it's immediate for them, but it's, you know, it's something for all of humanity has to face but for you and i really like you really feel it in this movie yeah it's it's this weird existential almost philosophical conversation that starts happening right uh you and i you know we can go on our business of pretending that we're going to live forever but (laughs) (laughs) uh if if you know all of a sudden that clock is started will we fundamentally change and i think that's a really interesting question to ask i think you know there's nothing I don't believe in a way. I, I, I wonder if there would be an action a character could do that I would say, I don't believe that. I guess I'm yeah. shocked by the action with them raping the little girl. But like, uh, I, the party, the rave party where everyone's on ecstasy and fucking each other and uh, just being completely libidinous, I kind of get that too. I want to be so high. <laughs> We're so like... <laughs> blissed out that when the fire happens like i i almost don't even mind like i just want to shut off my brain i get that you know i get people breaking down yeah <laughs> like yeah yeah they're playing russian roulette they're like uh you know just just throwing themselves at each other and and it's and none of it feels like an excuse for for violence or for for tna or anything it's all you know it's all so so plausible so believable yeah and and uh you know and the performances are so outstanding you really like just feel like these are these are real people you know these conversations they're having 
and <clears throat> the tone gets more and more oppressive as as the actual the, the color of the film changes you know it gets yeah. redder and redder as the fire wave approaches warmer and warmer yeah 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 <laughs> and uh yeah it's 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 really good it's really good stuff there's great as end, a end of time <laughs> sequences in it too uh there's a really memorable scene where he tries to ditch rose with his sister and her kids Mm-hmm. And when he gets there, he can't find his sister, and then he finds graves in the backyard of the kids, and he finds his sister and her husband have done a murder-suicide, and he just has to deal with it. <clears throat> and yeah. can he spend the rest of the day mourning his sister and his nephews and nieces? No, because he's too busy trying to live out the last few hours of his life. That was just another unfortunate chapter. Wish I hadn't stopped by there. What would it be like to visit your mom and know when you left that house, you would never see her again? You know, yeah. Terminator Three is not going to bring that for you. Right? <laughs> I definitely, I didn't think after any of these other movies, but I did. I genuinely sat there after this and was like, "Wow, that was," you know, it was powerful. It was, it, it affected me. Yeah, it's an emotionally involving movie, and, and uh, it, it is entertaining and it does have suspense to it, and you do kind of plug into this rose like this poor little girl she gets dosed with the yeah i i I don't know what it was is it ecstasy or lsd or something at the party Uh, it's a pill yeah a pill and then after this is after being kidnapped away from her family she puts her trust into jim who initially kind of fails her then he rescues her from the party and delivers her to the arms of her dead family (laughs) Yeah, it's dark. And he I mean, leaves her there yeah. with her permission. <laughs> like, sweet yeah, Jesus, I mean, he, that's brutal. <laughs> I mean, he goes on such a journey as well in, in the whole thing, you know. He starts off, he just wants to obliterate it all. He finds her and he, you know, accepts his responsibility. You know, he, t- he tries to ditch her with a policeman at one point. Yeah. But the policeman is just there, ask him to to kill him and his family because yeah. he can't do it himself. He can't bring and, himself and then, to do it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, ultimately he goes back to, to his pregnant girlfriend. Cause, oh, at, the, at the start, yeah. Cause, cause he's got, he's a pregnant girlfriend and then he also has his official girlfriend or whatever at the party. Yes. And, and he goes back to her and, and, you know, they watch the, the, the fire wave approaching and, the fact that he's been cheating on his pregnant girlfriend is a sin that we seem to forgive Jim because it's the end of the world. I think in another yeah. context, we might be a little harder on his character. But the level of stress, not just in him, and that's the other fascinating thing. It's not just our characters. Every person we see in the movie is going through this. Every yeah. single person. Yeah, uh, every scene as well. There's And there's just little nods everywhere. Like I was saying earlier, like I think when I was talking about Armageddon, there's no... There's no discussion of what people, what the hell people are going to do when this happens. But we see as he's running through or driving through the neighborhood, we see groups of people praying. We see other people attacking each other, murdering their family. He gets chased by a guy with a machete at one point. You know, it's all madness and, and it's so plausible. 
it really is, and it's not even just the movie. It's sort of like the conversation you have after what you think about it. It's just, again, I keep on going back to last night. It really operates in that same place. I think this movie has a little bit more spectacle to it. Last night's super low budget and conversational in a lot of ways, but emotionally potent. And uh, that's what this has too. And it, it, it just, it set a fire in my imagination. It just made me think like, again, would you want to be around for the end of the world? There would be part of you who would be like, well, I guess I'm not missing out on anything. <laughs> like, I didn't mm. miss the pinnacle of humanity. This is where we got. But that seems like pretty <laughs> small comforts in the wake of everything and everyone and all of the accomplishments cumulatively of humanity yeah, just like, being wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a know, bitter what? pill. <laughs> that's a bitter pill. I mean, I mean, it even made me think about um, most people say, oh, I wouldn't want dementia or something right. and i and then i'm like what, what you know thinking about that watching this film and their their decision is let's let's take all the drugs and just blot out the end and is that better than facing it like jim ultimately decides to do yeah literally facing it literally <laughs> facing it yeah yeah his girlfriend sort of hugged against his body she, she's got her back to it and he seems to look the storm right in the eye yeah and uh, I guess, I mean, uh, whether you're able to do it, that's the story we like to tell ourselves, that in the end we'll be able to look it in the eye. Uh, yeah. And I think it's a it, brave it movie that uh, an, uh, analyzes that in a serious way. Because you don't see yeah, it often. Yeah, in a much better way. Because, like, Day After Tomorrow ends exactly the same way. But I certainly felt this one much more. And with a much smaller budget, you know. Yeah. And with no famous actors or anything. I have to confess to cooking the books a little bit on this episode. The reason, other than it fitting thematically for me putting this movie in here, was kind of to illustrate the, the benefit of taking yourself seriously, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Because, you know, that definitely works. spoilers for the Rankin Review, I do think that this movie is the best of the movies that we've talked about on this list. And you could make literally 22 of them for the budget of Armageddon. <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> so I come out a huge fan of this movie. I'm going to keep an eye on this filmmaker. Way to go, Australian independent film. The only bad thing I could say about the movie is that I'd never heard of it, and most people that I bring it up to haven't heard of it. So I want to spread the word on these final hours because I think it's really strong. Maybe not mm -hmm. something you're going to watch again and again and again, but You'll be really <laughs> strong, really strong. Yeah, I agree 100%. Absolutely. This is my number one, I'm going to say right now. Uh, so, <laughs> only five to go, buddy. Let's do it.
All right, we've made it all the way to the end of the podcast, if not the world. And we have six Plague and Apocalypse movies to rank. Um, I'm curious. I know we're going we're gonna to agree on the top, but uh, are we going to agree on the rest? Uh, what's your list? Uh, well, I think we're not going to agree. Uh, <laughs> I think you like Terminator 3 a bit too much. <laughs> but let's see. All right. <clears throat> my, my last film is uh, Day After Tomorrow. And that is, uh, you know, it's just it's just so wishy-washy, <laughs> unspectacular. Unspectacular despite the end of the world, which is not something that it should be. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't hit any, any peaks that it should. Um, my second last is Terminator 3. And uh, it's, it's still, and it's, it's worse because it is a Terminator movie. And Terminator 1 and 2 is so strong. Terminator 1 in particular is one of my favorite films. You know, yeah. top five for me. It's quality. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and having a, a pretty pretty average um, sequel, third film, which, which doesn't, it doesn't, you know, sort of subverts the tone a little bit, despite the strong ending, is, is just, it doesn't do it for me. Yeah. And after that is Deep Impact. <laughs> and I'm laughing because that means... Anyway, Deep Impact is... It, it, hits, it, it hits some some decent emotional beats. The characters are pretty good. And it would have been better had you not made me watch these final hours. Uh. Which... Which deals with it, which deals with the exact same things, better on a smaller scale, but much, much better. And you know, I I care much less for for the Jim uh, for Tia Leone's character than I do for you know some random Australian, uh, you know, bogan. Um, so anyway, deep impact. And then on top of that, I'm sorry to say it's Armageddon. Oh wow! A bit, a bit, sh- a bit shamefully. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that does surprise I'm, I'm me. Ashamed. I'm, I'm a bit ashamed, but it's it's you know it's not serious, but it is so fun, and I care enough about these dumb characters that I care I care when they die, you know, and and it's it's a popcorn movie, and it's I think it's a pretty decent popcorn movie despite being incredibly stupid. <laughs> Incredibly stupid. I cannot emphasize that enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, second is, and then second is is Snowpiercer because um, it's it's a dumb premise, but it is good filmmaking. It's got you know like great shots. It's got incredible sets and fantastic performances, and and the visual effects are amazing. And you know after the and like even. One shot I love is the first time they get out of the tail section and they're looking into the outside world for the first time, and it's like this stunning white vista compared to the everything dark, grungy, metallic after that. It's it's you know all these scenes are so powerful. It pays and off. Although, in places, yeah. yeah, it doesn't work totally overall. You know, all these separate elements are kind of their own little little mini stories within within this instead of being a fully cohesive film but it's it's still so strong for that and yeah these these final hours is i can't uh, can't praise that enough because it's it's you know a great film and it's 
I'm so glad you made me watch it because yeah. I'd never, definitely never heard of it. There you go. I'd never seen a movie in Perth before. And shot and in your backyard. Such a thrill. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, I think we only agree on the top and bottom, brother. <laughs> I think we only agree. It's, it's just that middle bit, you know. <laughs> the unimportant middle part of the sandwich. <laughs> uh, the Day After Tomorrow is terrible, but it's nowhere near the worst movie Roland Emmerich's made. Like, it's probably actually one of the better ones. That's how yeah. little I think of Roland Emmerich. <laughs> it's full of decent actors and it's full of for its time decent special effects but I think the fate of this movie has been earned I think it's been more or less forgotten and that's about right <laughs> so there it is controversially my brother I will put Armageddon in fifth place no, I, I can't begrudge you that that, no, is, I understand. that is some powerful stupid <laughs> it is some powerful stupid and I get if you're in the mood for that because sometimes I am like sometimes I just want to like just guffaw at something that's just so over the top that you have to like appreciate <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's long sits and it's it's pretty fucking out there. So Armageddon hanging its hat in second last place. But for a Michael Bay movie to hit five is pretty good by my standards. So. Uh, in fourth position, I will put Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. The ending puts it over the top. I think it would have been a right down the middle review, but the ending they finally moved the bar forward. Nothing that they did in the movie as far as the Terminator hunting people or them finding ways to kill an unkillable robot was new. The only thing that they pushed new was in that third act. But it was new enough and the rest of the practical effects like you talked about, that car chase by itself as an action sequence is rock fucking solid. It's just, you know, we saw a car chase similar to that in Terminator 2. This is Terminator <laughs> 3. Let's raise the bar. Let's not just be comfortable. So... I I like it more than I used to, but I don't like it enough to put it higher than fourth place. Our dark horse child here, Snowpiercer, fights his way to third place. Because there's so much in it that I really, really like. That I'm willing to look past some of the stuff that I don't. And that it's, I think, going to be one of these movies that I will revisit. Just trying to catch up with it just <laughs> like i know people who are passionate about that movie who just think it's amazing and like it's a game changer sci-fi movie then to me sometimes it's that but most of the time it's every sci-fi movie you've ever seen <laughs> and i don't know how a movie can be original and cliched at the same time but that's what this movie seems to be attempting so it's it, it falls down the middle <laughs> to me it seems artificially high to put Deep Impact in second place. <laughs> but I think that, again, if you go with the old adage, what was the movie trying to do and how close did it come to accomplishing it? I think it does. Like I said in the review, when it hits an off note, it's a really off note. But there's enough notes that do hit that I forgive those off notes. Um, it Again, it's a tough, complicated list. Again, it feels like this should be where Snowpiercer is, but I'm just not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> Asking you again in a decade. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, you, you know, opinions change. That's part of the cool thing about the podcast. I will revisit things and like them more or less. 
So, but yeah, as I as I already said in the review, these final hours, I want I want to, to sing my love to it to the Raptors. You know, I just I want to spread the word. I want everybody to know how much I love these final hours. <laughs> but also, I have to temper it because it's sort of like running around enthusiastically saying, "Have you seen Requiem for a Dream? You should really watch <laughs> Requiem for a Dream." Because uh, it's a it's a bitter pill compared to the rest of the comparative spectacle. That we've been talking about on the list but i i really like it a lot and uh, it deserves you know I, maybe i'm wrong maybe everybody did hear of this movie but somehow it just it just fell into my lap out of nowhere the universe produced this piece of awesome for me and i'm glad i found it and i'm happy to spread the word and it's my number one boom yeah fair enough fair enough you know what chris yeah, if, the, if the world was coming to the end this is how I would like to spend it. <laughs> you and I <laughs> recording a podcast no one would ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, halfway there, Larry. <laughs> um, thank you so much, uh, Chris Dunk, all the way from Perth, Australia. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, brother. All right, thanks for having me, Larry. It's always a pleasure. And so comes to an end another hard-hitting episode of Ranked and Review. Thanks so much to Chris for returning, and we hope to hear from you again soon. It's always great to do a podcast with someone who's literally on the other side of the world. But, uh, you know, he doesn't seem far away. I think we're, I think we're buds. I think we did a good job this week. Uh, but if you differ on that opinion, maybe you should let me know by writing me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K. N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com This episode of Rank and Review is brought to you by the feature motion picture Book and Trespasses that is written and co-directed by yours truly, Larry Parsons. Uh, seek it out. Uh, it's not available yet anywhere except for in the festival circuit, but uh, I'm going to keep on putting it out there because it's my baby. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening.